Good morning. It's good to see y'all, and I mean that very much so. It is very good to see you. I know that things, uh, this feels a little bit different for some of you. I know it's been a little while since we've done uh, our assembling and gathering in this way, that we've all been here in the same room together, uh, many of us at least. And so I'm thankful for your willingness. I know that for some of you that this is a big step. Uh, This was something that you've been uh, a bit anxious about, and uh, and I'm thankful that the Lord has calmed your spirit and your mind enough to be able to come and enjoy assembling and worshiping together. Uh, This is good. I believe this is the biblical call for those of us that are able to gather together as one assembly. So I'm thankful that you're here. I'm thankful to hear you sing this morning, how good it sounded to hear a Pretty full sanctuary, singing these praises to God. Thank you, Brother Seth, uh, this morning as I'd asked him to read that text. He said, Brother Zach, you know, we often read the text and then pray, but what if we just make that text our prayer this morning? Lord, teach me your truth. This morning we're going to talk about that. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to 2 John. Last week we looked in 2 John and John was talking about the truth. He, he talked about the truth as something that we know, as something that lives or abides in us, and also as something that we walk in. We looked in John's gospel to see that we believe John, when he speaks about the truth, to be talking about at least the word of God that reveals the truth to us. As Christ prayed in John seventeen seventeen, your word is truth. And we also believe him to be talking about the example of Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so if we have the word of God, if we know the word of God, if we have the example of Jesus and we know the example of Jesus and those things live in us and we walk in them, then we'll be doing the things that John tells us we'll be doing, specifically showing God our love to him through keeping his commandments. So today we're going to pick up in verse 7, of course, 2 John is not very long, so we started last week and we'll end it this week. But as we look today, this is a continuous thought. We broke it into two sermons for time's sake. But for John, this is one continuous thought. So when we pick up here in verse 7, this is just right where we ended talking about when we know and obey the truth, we show love to God. And so then in verse 7, he says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So here we see that John, the the main thing that he's talking about or teaching about in this part of the text is are these false teachers, these deceivers, these antichrists, the same term meaning the same thing. These are people that John describes as having been in the church but having gone out from the church and as teaching things that are contrary to what the Scriptures teach. So he's warning us. He wants us to know that these people are real. And he also is going to give us two specific ways to deal with them. So as we think about these false teachers, he's going to tell us that one of the first things that we have to do is to know the truth. 
One of the first things, if you know that there are false teachers, one of the first things that you have to make sure that you are doing is that you know the truth so that you can recognize false teachings. He's going to talk about that. And then he's going to also tell us specifically, as we see there in verse 8, to watch yourselves or to watch out. And there are two parts to that that we'll look at. But let's, let's look at this first part. In knowing the truth. Now, he didn't say here anywhere in verse 7 or 8 specifically to know the truth. So how how am I giving you the idea that the first thing we need to do in order to combat these false teachers is to know the truth? Well, because last week John talked about the truth extensively. Used the word five times in the first four verses. And then when he starts verse 7, you'll notice that he uses the word for. And the weight of that word for is because. And so he's linking what he said in the last six verses with what he's about to say. So he's putting these things together. So it's literally as if he's saying, know the word, let the word abide in you, and walk in the word because there are many deceivers and many antichrists. So that's what John is telling us here. The first thing he's saying, because he's already said it, is we must know the truth because there are false teachers. That's the message that he's giving to this church that he's writing to. And so that's point one this morning. Simply, it's the main point of this text, the main thrust of this text. Believers must know the truth in order to avoid false teachings. Point one, believers must know the truth in order to avoid false teachings. Now, uh, we talked about this some in First John a while back when we were in First John. We looked at this idea of knowing the truth in order to, to not get caught up in false teachings. And, and Dr. Bob had a, a great example of this, a great illustration that he told me right after the sermon on this idea. And I said, man, it sure would have been nice if you had told me that before the sermon, and I remembered it. So he said that when you go into vet school that the first year of vet school is spent looking at healthy animals. Spend the whole year looking at, you don't look at anything sick. For a whole year, you look at a healthy dog, and a healthy cat, and a healthy horse, and a healthy cow, and you learn them through and through, inside and out, literally, what does a healthy dog look like. That way, when you see one that isn't healthy, it stands out. Right. If you know what a healthy one looks like, then you know what a sick one looks like. You know that something is not right here, and you can identify it more clearly. Well, the same idea is given here, I believe, by John. He's saying, if you know the Word of God, if you know the example of Jesus' life, and you know it really, really well, then when somebody tries to teach you something false, you're going to recognize it. It's going to be clear, and it's going to be easy for you to see. But we must know the Word of God well. Now, the wording that he, he gives here would also lead us to understand that. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. And so that word he uses, deceiver, the word that, that John uses there has this definition. One that misleads, corrupts, or causes others to veer from the true path. And so literally, these people know that what they're trying to do is trying to get you to believe something that's not true. 
That is their goal. They are trying to persuade you to believe something that is not true. They believe something that's not true, and so they're trying their best to work at some angle to make you believe something that's not true. And so if you know the truth, then it's even harder for them to lead you astray from that truth. Now, John tells us who these people were, or specifically what the people believed in their day and time, these people he's writing to. He says, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So literally, there were a group of people that had been part of the church, had left the church, that would identify themselves as Christians, that would say that they were Christians, but who also said that, yes, that Jesus was here, and yes, Jesus did spend this many years on earth, but he wasn't an actual human. He was just a spirit that looked like a human this entire time. He never actually became a person, which we know to be very contrary to what the Scripture teaches, that Jesus Christ did, in fact, come in the flesh, born of the Virgin Mary. And so they're teaching this that is clearly against the Scriptures. And they're trying to deceive Christians into believing this. Now, for us... This could be lots of different things. There are a lot of different teachings. We'll talk about a couple of them in just a minute. But, but you can encounter these. Now, I want you to recognize here, John isn't talking about somebody coming to you and trying to convince you to believe Islam or Buddhism or uh, become an atheist or believe in Scientology, right? He's talking about people that identify themselves as Christians who on the outside you might would believe were Christian, who had been part of a church that were trying to deceive you into believing something that isn't true. So this is like somebody teaching a Sunday school class. This is like uh, somebody in a discipleship group. This is a pastor that you hear uh, in person or on the radio or on TV that would call themselves Christian, that is part of a Christian church that you would think is Christian, teaching something that is not true. And that's when we're even more susceptible because I think when you walk into a Sunday school room at Mount Zion Baptist Church, and wherever you come into the sanctuary, wherever you turn on the TV and it's a pastor that you've seen and that you know and, the, and that's really well known, our guard's down a little bit. We feel like, I can, I can just listen to what they're saying and believe it. But I don't think that's what John's telling us here. I think he's telling us that even in those instances, because let me be clear, there have been Sunday school teachers, maybe not at Mount Zion, I don't know, but there have been Sunday school teachers and small country Southern Baptist churches that have taught things that were against the teachings of the Scripture. There are pastors right now during this hour that you could go pull up on the radio that are teaching things that are not true of what the Scripture says. And so we must be careful. And that's where John turns his attention in verse 8. So after introducing these deceivers that he also refers to as antichrists, people that are literally against Christ, he then gives this call, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. So the wording here calls for vigilance. This is an active calling. Watch out. Be careful. Be cautious. You can't just take teachings 
uh, as authoritative because the person that's teaching them has a place of authority. Just because that person has the position of Sunday school teacher. Just because that person has the position of pastor. You can't just accept what they say. You can't just accept what I say. I hope that you never just come and sit in the sanctuary and, and just kind of, Brother Zach, just spoon speed me. Uh, that's not even, spoon feed me. Nobody's asking me to spoon speed them, I know. Brother Zach, just spoon feed it in here. I, whatever you say, I'm just going to believe it. One thing that I hate to hear is whenever somebody says, I, I, I think this or I believe that, and I say, why do you believe that? Because preacher so-and-so said so. Brothers and sisters, that's not the answer. That's not the answer. Maybe because brother so-and-so, when he was here, preached on that from this text, right? But not because brother so-and-so said so. Not because mama said so. Not because my Sunday school teacher said so. Why do you believe that? Because God's word says it. That needs to be our answer. So when someone is teaching you from the scriptures or teaching what you believe to be from the Scriptures, you need to compare what they're saying to the Scriptures. You need to know the Scriptures well enough. You need to listen actively enough that if I were to say something this morning that's incorrect, like spoon-feed as spoon-speed, that you would hear it and recognize it and know that is not correct. Or at least hear it and say, I'm not sure about that, and make a note to go look at it later. Or to go ask someone else later. We have to, he's calling us here to be on guard when somebody is teaching us with the authority of the weight of the scriptures. That we would make sure that what they're teaching us is actually something that the scriptures have taught. Now, why is this important for us here? Will I not try my very best to always be very cautious and teach you only what the scripture says? Absolutely. Well, myself and Brother Randall as a Sunday school director and others in this church do our very best to make sure that everyone that teaches a class in some small group setting at Mount Zion is teaching what the Word teaches. Absolutely, we will. We will try our best. But I cannot guarantee that there won't be someone that would ever slip through the cracks. I can't guarantee you that all of your co-workers that go to church and that you think of as good Christian people, that you listen to and have conversations with sometimes, that they believe all the things that the Scriptures teach. I can't guarantee that. can't guarantee that everyone in your family, aunts and uncles and cousins, that what they believe is what the Scriptures teach. I can't. And so you have to be on guard. You have to watch yourself so that you're making sure that anything that someone shares to be Carrying the weight of Scripture is actually carrying the weight of Scripture. Because there are churches in Lincoln County that call themselves Christian, that teach that God and Jesus are not the same. There are churches here in Lincoln County that teach that and believe that. You probably have co-workers or friends that think that and believe that. There are churches in Lincoln County that refer to themselves as Christian that teach that there is some book or some person that has more authority than the Holy Scriptures. Here in Lincoln County that say that there is a book that has more authority than the Word of God has. You probably have friends, you probably have schoolmates, you probably have teammates, you probably have co-workers that believe these things. 
And so we're going to talk about those. Over the next couple Wednesday nights, we'll talk about a couple of specific ones that I know that we have here in Lincoln County. There are churches that call themselves Christian that you can turn on the radio and TV and listen to this morning that are teaching the prosperity gospel. That are teaching that if you claim to be Christian, and often if you give monetarily to their organization, that you will not ever be sick again that you will not ever have a bad day, and if you do, it's because you don't have enough faith. And brothers and sisters, that's not what the Bible teaches. It's not true according to the Scriptures. There are people that would call themselves Christians, pastors that call themselves Christians, that teach things contrary to what the Bible teaches about marriage and about abortion and about drugs and alcohol. And if you try hard enough, you could probably find a church somewhere that teaches, that calls themselves Christian, but teaches about whatever you want them to the way that you want them to. You just have to look a little bit harder. So what do we have to do? We have to watch ourselves. We have to be careful. We have to make sure that anyone that is teaching us is teaching us something that the Bible actually says, and that requires work of you. It cannot just be your pastor. It cannot just be your Sunday school teacher. It cannot just be your mom or dad. You have to weigh what you are hearing daily at church, at home, on the radio, at work. All of those things have to be weighed out. Point two, believers must weigh teachings against the teachings of the Bible. Again, it goes back very similar to point one. You must know the truth in order to avoid false teachings. When you know the truth, you weigh any teachings against the truth and you see if they line up or not. You have to do that. And I also believe this is one reason that we really need Christian community. This is one reason that, that I would think if you have a, a small group, whether it's a Sunday school class or an even smaller group, a discipleship group, uh, if you have an accountability partner, uh, that these ideas, these are very good and helpful things. I would think of your small group in my mind, uh, in this sense of a small group or an accountability partner, as, uh, as kind of like a spiritual neighborhood watch. You can think of it that way. Because when you start to believe something that somebody's teaching that isn't true, you're going to have somebody that's going to call you out on it. They're going to say, no, Zach, that's, that's not what the Bible says. Well, but it's what so-and-so, I know it's what so-and-so said, but it's not what the Bible said. This, this idea of accountability is good, and it is scriptural. But it's not the point here, so let's continue in the text. Verses 10 and 11, John gives, I believe, what's another part of watching yourselves or watching out. He says, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. Or in his wicked works. Now, this is a, these are two verses that you could read and very quickly uh, misinterpret. Uh, I will admit that, that it takes some understanding of the context to really get them. Whenever I first read them, I said the same thing that many of you may have said, may have said right now. What, is, is John telling me that if someone is not a Christian that I cannot have them over to my house? Is John telling me that if someone is not a Christian that no matter who they are, that, that if I let them come to my house for a meal, that I'm taking part in their wicked works, that I shouldn't have conversations with them at, at work around the break room table. Is that what he's saying? I don't believe that's what he's saying. 
don't believe that's the original intent of this writing. And so I wanted to read to you um, Robert Yarborough, scholar who's written a commentary on Second John, I was reading this week, and he has what I feel is a very good explanation of this. I just want to read to you directly from his writing. He says, he quotes this here, If someone comes to you and does not bear this teaching, he says, that envisions an ecclesial challenge. John is not talking about personal friends, exchange students, international students at the local university to which your church is trying to reach out, or non-Christian family members. This verse has generated untold angst in the form of misguided conviction regarding the propriety of showing hospitality to non-Christians. That is not John's subject here. So is that what John is saying to you? That if someone does not believe everything that we believe about the Bible, that you cannot be hospitable to him? He says that's not what he's saying. That is not his intent. That's not what John is teaching about here. What is John teaching about? John is teaching about, and, and I heard this explained this way this week, and I really like this. It stuck with me well. That John is saying that we cannot aid and abed false teaching. The words that he uses here of receiving someone or giving this greeting to someone, they carry the weight of endorsing their teaching. He's saying you cannot seem to be endorsing the teaching or supporting the ministry of someone that is teaching false doctrine. That's what he's teaching here. Not that you cannot be friends with. Not that you cannot share a meal with. No, he's saying that you cannot offer support or encouragement to them. You cannot be seen as someone that is trying to back their ministry in any way. So it's not, don't have them over for a meal. But it's not, it's don't have them for a meal and encourage them for what they're doing. It's don't tell them that what they're doing is helpful. It's don't give monetarily to support their ministry. If they're a missionary, they're teaching these things. Don't give in any way to support them. Don't give them any help. Don't give them any encouragement for what they're doing. Again, he explains it a little bit further. Yarbrough says, An analogy today would be Jehovah's Witness, Mormon, or other missionaries who seek to spread quasi-Christian views. While there is no call to be uncivil to them, to receive them in the sense of endorsing their teaching, giving them financial support, and offering them personal encouragement makes no sense when their teaching clearly rejects historic Christianity. And so this is the idea. Do not give them support or encouragement if what they're teaching does not line up with what the Bible teaches. Now, some of you may have questions. Why did he specifically call out Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons? And so the next two Wednesday nights we're going to take in order to address those two. We will look, I will pull the statement of faith and belief of Jehovah's Witnesses, and we will look at things in there that clearly do not line up with what we believe the Bible teaches or what the Bible clearly teaches. And then the next Wednesday night, we will do the same for Mormons. We will pull the belief statements of, more, of the Mormon church, and we will look and see which areas we believe fully do not line up with what the Scripture teaches. But point three is that Christians should be careful to offer no support or encouragement to false teachers. Be careful to make sure that you are not offering support 
or encouragement to false teachers. The last thing that I wanted to mention here, just because the way it's worded could also uh, cause angst among us, is, is going back to verses 8 and 9 when he calls us to watch ourselves. He says, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Now, is John there saying that if you accidentally believe a false teaching, that you will lose your salvation? That your name will be blotted out of the Lamb's book of life? Is that what he's teaching? I don't believe so. Verse 9, I think, clarifies his, his intent here. He says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So this is a word that John likes. This is a word that John uses often, abide. It's not a word that we use that often, so I know it's a little bit different for us. But he's already told us in verse 2, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. And so you can just think of remain rather than abide. It just means it sticks with you. So he's saying if you have the truth, the truth of God's word and the truth of Jesus' life and the truth of the gospel, if you believe that and you have faith in that, then that will be with you how long? Forever, he said in verse 2. And now he says in verse 9 that if you go on ahead, and the idea of going on ahead is moving past the gospel, Believing something outside of what the scripture teaches. So if you go on past the gospel, if you go on past the word of God and begin to believe other things, right? you don't stay here, you don't remain here, then he makes clear, if you go on ahead and believe other things, then that person does not abide in the teaching of Christ and does not have God. So I don't think it's the idea of if you are, are tricked into believing something that you shouldn't, which we already shouldn't do that because we should know the truth, but I think it's more the idea that if you begin to believe and accept and teach things that are contrary to the Scripture, that you are proving that you're not Christian. right? Not that you're tricked, but you are choosing to believe these things that are different than what the Scripture teaches. I think it's very similar to a part of Jesus' teaching from John 15. Many of you know that text about uh, the vine and the branches. In verses 5 and 6, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. And here we hear the same language. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But again, this idea, if you are remaining in Christ, and Christ is remaining in you, you will bear good fruit. But if you are bearing bad fruit, then what you are doing is proving that you are not in Christ and he's not in you. You are showing by the fruit of your life that you actually are not a Christian. I believe that that's what John is picking up on here. Not the idea that if a Christian accidentally believes something they shouldn't, but whenever we believe and accept and teach things that are wrong and that are against the teachings of Scripture, that is our fruit showing that we are not in Christ and Christ is not in us. That the Holy Spirit would convict us of the truth and that we would not continue in teaching those false things. So if you are then you're proving that you're not Christian. So your fruit shows your roots, right? Your roots are in Christ. You're going to believe the things that are true. 
your roots are in anything other than Christ, you are going to teach and believe things that are false. I believe that's what John is saying there. So I just want to end by asking you a couple of, of rhetorical questions to help you reflect on the teaching of this. And we have to start here. Do you know the truth? Do you abide or remain in the truth? Do you know the scriptural teaching about Jesus? Do you know what Jesus' life reveals to us about God the Father? Do you know the gospel? Do you believe the gospel? Are you a Christian? We have to start there. Because if your answer to that is no, then there's immediately something that needs to be addressed. I pray that if you say, no, I do not know what the Bible teaches. No, I do not understand the gospel. No, Brother Zach, I'll just be honest with you. I do not believe everything the Bible says about Jesus. Then right there we have something we need to address. And I would love to talk to you about that. I'd love to ask you, well, well what is it that you don't believe? Or, or why is that tripping you up? Or what are the issues? I would love to have an honest conversation. Not where I'm yelling at you or mad at you because I'm a pastor and you're telling me you don't believe what the Bible says. But where we can just sit down and talk through that together. Give me a call. Send me a text. Let me know when we can meet. And I would love to discuss that with you. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God that left heaven and came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death, and if you do not believe that He is the Son of God that came back from the dead and will live forever, and if you do not have faith in Him and have not asked Him to forgive you of your sins, then that is where we need to start. But if you do believe those things, and I would ask you the next question, and, and it has to do with this idea of, of how well acquainted are you with the Bible? Are you actively working to make sure that you know the truth? Because I'll be honest with you, if you're not, if you are not trying to make sure that you understand the Bible, then you really have no excuse for it. As much as anyone that has ever lived, we don't have an excuse for this. Because now, in our day and time, there are thousands of study Bibles and study aids and things to help you. You say, Brother Zach, I can't just read the Bible and understand what it says. And I'm telling you, that's okay because there are so many resources. There are hundreds if not thousands or tens of thousands of podcasts recorded every single week where there are scholars and pastors and people teaching what the Bible is saying, helping you to understand it. There are sermons that you can hear on the radio every day, or on Facebook every day, or on YouTube every day. Brothers and sisters, we have as many resources to learn and understand the Scripture as anyone that has ever lived and if it's audio or if it's video or if it's reading there is one that will work for you and if you need help finding one come see me and I will help you find those study aids that will be most useful and helpful for you because there are some of them so there is no excuse other than I just don't want to and brothers and sisters that cannot be our answer to the call of scripture to know the truth of God's word we must be doing that. If you do know the truth, are you weighing out the teachings that you hear? When you hear me preach, do you actively make sure that what I'm teaching lines up with Scripture? If not, I pray that you will. 
When we start back Sunday school, will you do that? I pray that you will. When you have conversations at work, do you do that? I pray that you will. And then the very last one would be, are there any areas of your life, any avenues that you may actually be supporting the work of people that are teaching things that do not line up with the Scriptures? Are there some missionaries that you're supporting that you're not really sure? They're just friends from college, and so you've supported them, but you don't really know what they teach. Is there a TV ministry that you're sending money to regularly or a radio ministry that you're sending money to regularly and you say, well, you know what, I don't really know all that they believe or think. Well, again, call me. I would love to sit down with you. Let's look at that ministry. Let's look at their statement of faith. Let's look at their beliefs and see if they line up with the Scriptures because if they don't, then the call of Second John here is that you would stop supporting and encouraging their ministry. And we want to do what we can to line up with the teachings of the Scriptures. So I would like to close just by praying. Praying that the Lord would help us to do these things. Thanking Him for giving us the truth so clearly. And asking Him to help us to abide in that truth as it abides in us. If y'all would join me and let's close by praying. Father God, you have been 